Hi and welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast series Sunny Side Up. I'm Paroma. I'll be your host for the day. Hi Mike, welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast Sunny Side Up. How are you? I'm doing really well, thanks, and uh, very pleased to be here with you and doing the podcast for Demand Matrix. Great. So we'd like to begin with you telling the audience a little bit about yourself and, of course, about your current role and company. Sure. I've spent the past 35 years working in a blend of sales and training and development professions, which eventually sort of evolved into organization effectiveness and sales performance improvement work. Over the years, titles have been everything from sales training to sales effectiveness, sales performance development. Probably the most popular term now is sales enablement, and that's part of my current title. But I'm, I'm also really fond of sales transformation, and my consulting company even was called Transforming Sales Results. Today, though, I'm the Vice President of Sales Enablement Services for SPA and SPA Sigma, which are sister companies in the sales analytics and sales training and enablement business. I've just started this new role in December of 2018. In this role, I'm doing a lot of different things. I advise clients, I write, I speak at conferences, I lead webinars, just ran a workshop, build sales training courses, and design sales enablement systems that get results for clients. So that's a little bit about me and what I'm doing today. That's pretty amazing. So what's a typical day at work like for you? <laughs> well, I think the structure of my typical day is probably a lot like everyone else's. You know, email, social media, phone calls, web conferences. Mine also happens to include mm-hmm. client calls and visits, uh, designing training, running webinars, developing solutions for clients, and and maybe even a special podcast now and then. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I think what makes it exciting for me is that the content and the type of work, which is all focused on sharing ideas with others and, and helping clients improve their sales results. As an example, right now, a colleague and I are developing a course we call Modern Sales Foundations. Last week, we just ran a conference workshop on how to build a buyer-oriented selling system. And next week, we're sitting down with a multi-billion dollar company to explore ways that they can close sales competency gaps in their sales force and prepare for the future. So I'm not sure there's a typical day, but that's at least some of what my days look like. It sounds amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about sales enablement techniques? What trends are you seeing, especially in the B2B marketplace? What are technology companies doing to enable better sales, to close deals faster? Well, if you follow the industry analysts to track sales and sales enablement, there are quite a few different tool categories today. And I put those into big buckets. The sales tools used by the sales force to make selling more efficient or effective, and then the sales enablement tools that help prepare reps and help them get better at what they do. And so I think one of the trends is really thinking in terms of a sales stack and then also a sales enablement stack, and that's one trend I see. Artificial intelligence and all the associated technologies around that for sales are certainly a big trend. Everybody is talking about that now. We're also seeing some consolidation start to happen so that tech companies can have a broader offering that covers a wider berth of sales enablement functionality. 
For a long time, sales enablement practitioners were practically sewing apps together like the Frankenstein monster, a Frankenstack is a term that I've heard, right? But now we're seeing some of these apps start to offer more functionality, either through organic product expansion or sometimes through acquisitions. So I think in terms of capitalizing on all of this, the best thing that sales and sales enablement leaders can do is really step back and think strategically about their business, their customers, their sales force, and really determine what support the reps actually need. And remember, it's not just about the technology anymore. Sales enablement's much more than that. So in terms of what reps need, is it getting better contact info for prospects faster? Is it having and finding the right content to share with the right buyers at the right time and and then being able to personalize that? Is it getting the training they need to close competency gaps or the coaching? Or maybe it's additional skill practice or support applying what they've learned in training with real customers. You know, or does the business maybe need to enable the sales managers more effectively with the training tools and processes they need? There's so much now under the sales enablement umbrella. So I think sales enablement initiatives and technology can do all of that and more. The most important thing is to develop a strategy first and then find the right approach and the right tools and technology to support your sales team rather than just throwing technology or initiatives at them, somehow hoping they might get better. By the way, for anybody struggling through the the maze of vendors out there, I'd encourage them to reach out to my friends at at Vendor Neutral. They help simplify the sales app selection process, and that's the sort of approach they take. They don't start with the technology. They really step back and take a good look at the business and the questions that I've just mentioned. Great. So can you tell us a little bit about the biggest misses that you're seeing when companies define their sales strategies today in the B2B marketplace? One thing is that I, I see still a ton of product pitching. I see it every single day. I have reps every day approaching me on LinkedIn, and it's all about them, and it's all about the product. Another thing that I see consistently is that discovery is often done so poorly, and it's everything that happens after that really hinges on how well discovery was done. So, And I think as a whole, I just did a workshop on this concept. Generally speaking, we just don't demonstrate enough of a buyer-oriented or a buyer-centric mindset and approach. And then I see a lot of sales reps doing what I call selling by superstition. They do the same things over and over, and they hope for a different result. So I think about it this way. Mac Hannon published his landmark book, Consultative Selling, in 1970. Yet today, almost 50 years later, it'd be 50 years next year, many sales organizations just still aren't selling the way that Mac originally intended with a buyer-centric, value-oriented, outcome-based approach that delivers real value in terms of the metrics that matter most to the buyers and an ROI for those customers. I don't see a lot of gap analysis or impact analysis. I don't see reps speaking the language of business, having the business acumen, you know, or more importantly, really being what I call a multilingual salesperson, right? Because if you're talking to a CFO and you're positioning your products or value and you're talking to an operations director, you almost have to be able to speak two different languages. And and I don't see a lot of that happening. And you know, all of this stuff 
this product pitching and lack of buyer orientation, it's been tolerated for a long time, I think, because buyers basically connected the dots on their own and sometimes purchased solutions in spite of the sales reps rather than because of them. And if we're talking about big misses in B2B sales today, I don't think there's anything bigger than that. You know, buyer expectations are changing. And I just don't think that the modern buyers are going to continue to tolerate this for a lot longer. And I really don't think that sales leaders or CEOs will be able to tolerate it from their sales forces either. So I'm hoping this is really going to begin to be a catalyst for real change. Absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned there were there's so many sales. There are a lot of apps out there today. There are a lot of tools that enable sales, that help salespeople in their efforts. So what role do you think salespeople will have in the future vis-a-vis all of this? And of course, you know, they have to stay relevant. Basically, all that you spoke about now is, uh, you know, there's a need for relevance in their messaging. So how do you see this entire role evolve with the help of technology? I mean, I think the impact will be positive or negative to the degree that these tools are integrated with the rep's workflow and truly support what the reps need to do to better serve the customer. So in the case where a bunch of apps are provided, but they, they don't integrate or, or at least iframe into CRM, where they all have separate logins and different places to go, that can really wind up being a real hindrance and a drag on productivity. But when it's done well, it should really all be transparent to the rep that they're even using an app versus just doing their work in whatever system they usually work in, whatever CRM. So I think the goal of the technology in supporting the future and the way that salespeople will need to work, especially for the sales apps, should really be to create efficiency so that the rep can spend more time selling and interacting with the buyers and customers. Then for the sales enablement apps, It should really be all about how to prepare those reps or support them in interacting more effectively with their customers in real time. And, you know, everybody's talking about AI these days, right? And I think that over time, with the growth of artificial intelligence, I think a lot of the mundane tasks are going to be automated. They'll start to disappear, and they'll free up the sales reps to really focus on interacting with the buyers. And then, you know, the higher order selling skills, sometimes what I call the human differentiators. So do you see any title or any role disappearing in the near future or any new role being introduced as a result of all of this? Well, I mean, everyone's talking about the role of SDRs or BDRs or appointment setters and how that's going to change. We're seeing some of that with some of the artificial intelligence technologies that may eliminate those roles in highly transactional businesses. I think we foster some of that by very often putting the least experienced people in those roles when I would do the exact opposite. I would put some of the most experienced people in the roles interacting with, uh, you know, uh, business executives and decision makers trying to help them understand how we can help and setting the appointments for someone to go in. So I, I think there's some of that, right, that's, that's happening and going on in the market. And I think some of those roles might evolve quite a bit. New roles, I've often joked, I don't know how far off I am, that in 10 years, we're all going to be data scientists, right? It's all going to be about analyzing the data. And, you know, we've got some apps in place now and that we're developing that, you know, that help sales reps by looking at their all of the data in the system, helping them determine which accounts they should spend more time with and what type of things they should focus on while they're there. 
it takes a lot of the mundane pieces and analyzes more data than one person probably could in, in the time allotted and really helps those reps kind of direct themselves. So I think if anything, we're going to see a lot of the transactional stuff fade or reduce, and we're going to see a rise of that old style Mac Cannon true consultative seller. You know, and as technology advances, they'll need to really focus more on the human differentiators, things like empathy, active listening, judgment skills, business acumen, critical thinking and decision making, interpersonal skills, facilitation to really run meetings effectively, you know, and true consultative skills. You know, in a complex sale, right, I hear everything from 5.4 to 6.7 decision makers, sometimes even up to eight in these deals, guiding the customers through that kind of journey and decision-making process could be a skill that's incredibly valuable for sellers in that complex environment. And yet, if you think about the skills and you know that we train today, and you think about what everybody's talking about on LinkedIn, we're still arguing about whether cold calling is dead or not, and you know, is social selling alive or not, rather than thinking about where do we need to evolve as a profession to more effectively serve our buyers. And that's where I'm hoping that the conversation is going to go. And I think that the technology and where it's driving us is going to force us into that at some point. I'm just not sure when, because that's the thing, like with Matt Cannon's consultative selling being published almost 50 years ago, you know, watching consultative selling get adopted in organizations has been a little like watching a glacier move. So I don't know when, but I know it's coming. Great. So what key piece of advice would you give uh, sales managers, especially the young millennials who are setting up sales enablement programs or new strategies in their business? Where should they begin and what should they be doing? How should their approach be defined? Well, I would say on the seller side and sales leaders, I'd say this. It's about the buyers, not you. And we need to shift our mindsets toward a buyer-oriented selling approach. So it's not about the products. It's about the problems that you can solve with them. And you know, one of the key pieces of advice I give is always about buying process exit criteria. And I'm a process geek, right? So I, you know, when you think about a process, it's the stages the sales move through. And each stage has an objective. It has tasks that need to be performed, and it has certain exit criteria or the things that need to be completed before you can move forward. And buying process exit criteria are the things that each decision maker in that deal needs to see, hear, feel, understand, or believe in each stage of their buying process to feel comfortable moving forward to the next stage with you. And so if you've got five different buyers, some of their buying process exit criteria in stage two is going to be the same, and some of it, based on their role, might be different. But if we stop selling by superstition and start really having authentic conversations with buyers, we can get to this exit criteria and what really matters to each one in each stage. Then we can focus on delivering that confirming that it provides what they need and then gaining commitment to move forward. That's my real advice for the sellers and the sales managers. Now, in terms of sales enablement, 
the challenging thing about sales enablement is how it's evolved over time to where it is today. It started back with the gap between sales and marketing alignment. And from the marketing perspective, it was about providing messaging for the sales force that really resonated with buyers. You know, on the training side, it was about getting people ready and onboarding and getting them up to speed faster and better than previously. Then it's all of the technology tools. So in the beginning, it was very simple, right? But I think today, we're starting to broaden that out. I've created a framework I call the sales enablement building blocks that sort of gives practitioners a starting point of all the options and levers to consider. CSO Insights in their book, uh, Sales Enablement, Tamara Shank and, and Byron Matthews, they have their diamond model with the same kind of purpose behind it. What are all the facets of sales enablement? And whatever model or definition you use, the most important advice is this. Get clear on what enablement's going to mean to you and your organization. Get a charter in place to get alignment across all of the cross-functional stakeholders. Put your plans in place and then begin to execute against those plans in a focused, disciplined way. Then don't let bright, shiny objects or flavor of the month or knee-jerk reactions steer you off course because that happens so often that we don't actually get the results that we could from our initiatives. By the way, if for your listeners out there, if they want to see those building blocks I mentioned, there's a simple bit.ly link that will get them there. It's just bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash S-E, as in sales enablement, S-E building blocks. And that link should take them to the building blocks graphic if they want to see it. But you can generally search me down online and you know, search my name and building blocks and that stuff will come up. But again, CSO Insights also has a great model. And I think if you get clear on what you're trying to accomplish with sales enablement, who you're going to do it with, create some plans and execute, that is just about the best advice I can offer for those folks. And then lastly, I think some of the sales enablement practitioners in the market today who have evolved to a more mature model have really gotten that foundation in place and has gone as far as to evolve their approach to be closer to performance consulting, identifying and solving business problems, and then improving performance through their enablement initiatives. And that's what I tried to do, and I'm encouraged to see the profession, or at least some of it, starting to move in that direction. So I'm very hopeful that sales enablement will involve to or include performance consulting in its future. Thank you, Mike. I think you share some pretty interesting insights with all of us today. It was great having you over and we look forward to having you participate sometime soon again. Well, thank you very much, Prom. It's really been a pleasure to be here. Mm-hmm.